This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. Here's your host, Kristen Tervish. Welcome to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tevich, and we're here for you every Monday night at 5 p.m. Eastern, followed by replays throughout the week. The purpose of my show is to explore how work will change in times of globalization and digitization. We want to understand the work of tomorrow. In each show, I will talk with experts and leaders from a specific industry and get their insight on what is happening today and how things are changing in the future. Now, as we have been reminded by the recent ups and downs at Wall Street, Managing our money and quite central concern for all of us, be it borrowing money, moving money around, or investing money for the future, banks are really central to our economy. There are about 100,000 branches of retail banks in the country, and financial service professions employ millions of people here in the U.S. Now, like many industries, the banking business model is under attack from online and mobile as well as other new technologies such as blockchain and artificial intelligence. But before we declare retail banking as the horse cards of the 21st century, I propose that we explore how banks actually operate. What does it take to run a successful retail banking operation? And how do you improve these service operations to stay competitive? To help us explore this topic, I have two wonderful guests today. In the first half of the show, I will be talking to Bill Demchuk, who is the CEO of PNC Bank. And in the second half of the show, I will talk with Chris Britt, the founder and the CEO of Chime, a new bank for the mobile age. Welcome at this point, Bill. Hi, Christian. How are you? Hey, Bill. There are about 2,800 PNC branches, if I got this number correct, PNC branches and ATMs throughout the country. Um, that's right on branches. We have more ATMs than that. How, how many of those have you seen personally? Of our branches? That's a good question. Uh, several hundred, at least, um, but certainly not all of them. I, I know that you're probably not allowed as CEO to pick favorites, but is there a branch that is like a, a, a really typical PNC branch as you love it? Um, <laughs> you know, the branch right in the basement of our headquarters here is the one I'm in uh, most often. Um, but I would tell you, I, like many of our customers, um, visit branches uh, less and less often. What is the role of retail branches in 2018 and going forward? Um, increasingly, retail branch. well, I, sh- I should back up a little bit. Retail branches continue their traditional role of providing all transaction support for many of our customers. Um, so think of that as my mother. However, um, we have 60% of our, actually over 60% of our customers who would uh, describe themselves as primarily digital customers who rarely, if ever, go into a branch. Uh, at issue today is our most profitable customers are, in fact, the ones that use branches um, as they, they tend to be the more affluent and more established and, and more mature. So when a customer walks into a branch right now, it's actually not a defect that you couldn't deal with online. That market segment is for you still the most profitable segment in terms of retail banking? Yes. It's, you know, I, my mother has an iPhone and she can deposit a check you know, from her phone. She can do pretty much anything she wants from her phone, but she likes to go down to her local branch and talk to people she's known for years and have a cup of coffee. And that's how she chooses to bank. And part of what drives success in retail banking is taking care of your customers in whatever channel and whatever form they want to be taken care of. Who works in a typical uh, retail branch? Uh, can you just describe us a staffing model of a kind of mid-sized retail branch in terms of how many people work there and what type of backgrounds they have? 
Sure. You might have four or five employees. The majority of them would be college graduates. Um, you would have employees who might have been with us for, you know, in excess of 25 years and some who were, you know, just out of school and starting their careers. Um, all of them are, are by nature, uh, customer-focused and service-oriented. Um, our branches, you know, as you mentioned, 2,600 of them all operate in the same, uh, in effect, um, manner such that if you walked into a branch in Florida or one in St. Louis, your experience would feel um, hopefully exactly the same. And when I'm working in a branch, am I touching the customer that I've kind of known for many years? Am I touching that customer exclusively in the branch or are the employee in the branches also touching the customer through getting involved in any of the online or texting or call center type of interactions? It's a great question. So in, in many instances, it's a, it's a face-to-face relationship that's occurred over you know, multiple years, but I'll go back to the example of my mother. Um, her local branch um, and the bankers in her branch would reach out to her through you know, text or email if there was you know, a concern over her account. Um, you know, oftentimes, if it's um, you know, a random customer who's coming into the branch, we touch them through you know, many channels, from online, through ATM, through um, text, uh, and through voice. You know, should we have any concern you know, related to charges on their account or potential fraud or something that, that they'd otherwise want to know about right away? And part of our challenge and part of the challenge of retail banking going forward is to integrate all of those channels so that we know how we are touching or communicating with that customer uh, in all places at all times. So if I look at the total number of interactions that uh, customers had, I think you have like 8 million customers, if that number is approximately correct, 8 million customers, and I look at the frequency with which they connect with a human being. Has has that number in the world of omni-channel retail banking, has, has that number gone up over the last 10 years, or is the number of employee to customer touch points roughly the same and what we're seeing is, is, is really a substitution that we're using more of the digital channel now as opposed to the retail channel? Um, so two competing factors. Uh, the, the number of, of direct interactions with customers face-to-face has, has clearly declined over the last 10 years and has been replaced principally through you know digital interactions over your phone or through online banking, bill pay, or, or even through the ATM. Um, However, one of the things that has, in fact, increased um, quite substantially over the last 10 years is the volume that comes through our care centers, um, where customers um, call not just to do business, but if you think about the number of incidents of um, cybercrime and so forth, you know, people just calling out of concern to make sure that their account uh, is okay um, and that there's no issues. And so the, the volume in the care centers has increased a lot, and we've purposefully personalize that approach uh, while the volume that you might see out of traditional branches has declined. So I think it's fair to really then have kind of maybe three buckets. There is the interaction in the branch, there's the interaction with technology, most of that automated, and then there's an interaction with a central pool of resources in a, in a central care center. Yes, either through voice or through chat. 
And uh, when you think about that transition to more and more digital that I, I think, you know, most certainly of the younger generations have been enjoying, um, who has been the main beneficiary of, of those technological advancements? Is it where, where did that value go? Did the value go to the consumer in terms of better banking experience? Did it go to you in terms of higher profits or lo lower fulfillment costs? Who, who captured all that technology investment that you and other big firms put in there? Um. Probably a little of everybody, uh, to be honest with you. Obviously, the, the investment that we've made uh, in technology, starting with our core infrastructure but following up with digital, has been massive over the last you know, five, six, seven years. Um, we have, through the course of that investment, made it simpler, faster, safer um, you know, for customers to interact with us through digital channels, and we've introduced new products um, on the back of that. So if you think about the rollout of Zelle Pay in real-time you know, P2P payments, the simplicity of using mobile to transfer money amongst your accounts, to pay bills, to have a mobile wallet, um, all of these new products make life easier for consumers to manage their money. How about your fulfillment costs? In, in many ways, I, I, I oftentimes when you see these digital transformations of industries, it seems quite often to be the like the Wikipedia example where the, 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 the technology has really benefited the consumers but hurt the incumbents. In your case, you also mentioned that in the te technological advances, in your case, were forwarded to the consumers. Did you as a firm benefit from the technology or was it, was it just forced on you because that's just the no, new landscape? I, I would say at this point it's a bit of a push. So concurrent with the investment in technology and the, and the use of technology by our clients, we have been consolidating branches. So if we're at 2,600 today, once upon a time we were north of 3,000. So we have, you know, physical plant takeout. Cost of occupancy is declining um, as our technology expense uh, is increasing. And for that equation to work, um, we need to be able to use technology to originate as many new clients uh, and products um, as we are losing when we close a physical branch. And in fact that equation has worked for us. So our digital channels are now um, generating more net new business for us than the business we lost from the consolidated, you know, four or 500 branches. Talk about uh, the impact of, of, of that transformation that you're describing there, uh, Bill. Talk about what this means for jobs, because the profile of a branch worker is different from an employee who works more either in a central technology function or in one of these kind of customer support centers that you described previously. What is the impact on, on, on jobs on this one? It's, it's a fantastic question. Um, one, of the thing that, one of the things that has happened inside of retail banking, in particular the branch employees over the last 10 years, is that turnover generally has increased as, we've, um, as the, the complexity of the job has gotten more difficult. And um, you know, traditional pay scale inside of those branches, you know, competed with other types of retailers, which, you know, bluntly offered simpler jobs. In response to that, um, we have been very aggressive over the last, you know, three or four years in increasing what we pay inside of the branches um, to drop the turnover. But in the interim, we've been largely able to absorb um, through normal attrition uh, employees who would otherwise be displaced from closing the branches. A more or a longer-term question, which I don't know that anyone has the answer to, is that as we automate our 
operational areas which have similar types of employees and we deploy um, AI uh, inside of our operating environments, we'll have a similar issue where while it's a high turnover area today, um, you know, through time, we would expect that there will be less employees in those environments as we improve the customer experience and, and effectively speed transaction volume. So tell us more about the financial training that the folks working in the branches have. What what can I expect in terms of just uh, on on the scale from somebody who is basically just following standard instructions to somebody who has an MBA from Wharton or I think for, from any other kind of elite business school with an MBA. What what, what is kind of the the skill level in the branch when it comes to advising a small business, helping somebody make a financing decision for a home or for retirement? Yeah. Um, So we actually run something called PNC University. Uh, It doesn't necessarily compete with Wharton. (laughs) But um, all of our employees have both, you know, when they're onboarded, but then continual online education as it relates to the products we offer. Uh, and importantly, as it relates to the regulatory environment that we operate in and what their responsibilities are uh, with respect to communicating with clients. Um, you know, oftentimes, interacting with small business or even with consumers, um, the, the financial literacy of our customers um, is less than, you know, what you might expect given the world you operate in every day, right? You, you, you work at a, or, you know, you teach at a business school and you expect a certain level of competency. And the truth is there is a need inside of our broader communities for financial literacy. And it's one of the things independent of um, dealing with them as customers. It's one of the things we actually offer inside of our branches um, for, for students and, 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 you know, seniors alike. Um, you know, the, the basic conversation, you know, we call it the PNC conversation, but in conversation with clients, we'll talk to them about their financial needs and their worries and what they're trying to accomplish. And if it's, you know, financing against a home or for a project or buying a car, or if it's a small business and they're worried about managing money or whether they need to put a new merchant chip reader in as opposed to a mag stripe reader so they don't have cyber risks, all of those things are conversations that happen inside the branch. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening uh, to Work on Tomorrow here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Christian Terwish, and I'm chatting with Bill Jamchak, who is the CEO of PNC Bank. And we're talking about uh, the future of retail banking, and we're just talking about the, how the technology is kind of impacting the type of work that is, is conducted by bankers. Uh, Bill, a personal example for me, I, I walked into a retail branch, and, and shame of you, it was not a PNC branch. Uh, to finance a commercial real estate project recently, a small project. Uh, I had built my Excel spreadsheet and done my discounted cash flow calculations. <laughs> and I was just, and ma- call me naive, right, and I am naive, uh, but I was just somewhat shocked that the person who I was talking to on the banking side had really no feelings for interest rates and what discounted cash flow really meant. Yeah. Is is that, in, in some sense, is that a result of, of, of just cost pressure and, and retail consumerization where basically people are just following standard operating procedures and rely on the computers to, to guide them in everything as no, opposed to having it, gone it, through a financial background themselves? No. In, in, in your example, inside of our branch, if somebody was coming in to talk about an actual financing transaction for a business where, in effect, we were going to underwrite a series of cash flow or something with collateral value, we would, in the branch, um, offer a warm handoff to an expert who might be on the phone or through video 
uh, who would absolutely be able to have that conversation with you. So, so, the, so part of the branch employee's job is to figure out, now in your case, you came in saying, this is what I want, so you're easy to figure out, but, but oftentimes, you know, the conversation is more trying to understand what the actual need of the customer is. So the retail branch is, in that sense, the first line of defense? Um, yes, I mean, it's, it's the, you know, it's there for transactions and for, you know, business in the ordinary course. Um, anything that comes in that is, you know, something different than can I apply for a credit card or can I apply for a mortgage or can I do something simple, we, we have experts um, either through chat or through video or on phone um, and for our larger branches on premise, um, you know, that would deal with that customer. As an operations professor, I'm just fascinated by the workflows that are a resultant of that, right? So the customer comes to the branch, is basically greeted by the first person, but the person then has to reach out and consult with an expert. That expert has to get some files together. Yep. The customer comes back and then has some questions so on the ongoing maybe a mortgage applications and texts the bank for an update. Um, how, how has that changed over the last years? I mean, this is complexity is, is inviting, and, and, and not, this is certainly not a critique to, to PNC Bank. This is inviting a complexity that is almost impossible to tame, it seems to me. Um, well, we think it's possible to tame, um, but it is incredibly complex. In your example, um, you would have been handed off to a care center underwriter who would have been your primary point of contact. You would have had electronic communication with that person where any documents back and forth, um, you know, would have occurred over email. There would be e-signature over email. There would be an appraisal um, that would be scheduled to view the property. Um, that appraisal would be available. Uh, in the case of residential mortgage, we actually have a, uh, a product where you can track the entire process from origination to close, um, you know, straight through the process, so you're real-time on your phone looking at who's, look, you know, who's looking at your appraisal, who's, who's looking at your cash flows, who's looking at approvals, and where does everything sit. Um, but you're right. To make that work, um, we need to make sure that it is integrated across the people on the front line through to the people in operations who are performing the work set necessary, um, in your instance, to close a loan on a piece of real estate. You know, everything from making sure that it's creditworthy through to making sure that you have flood insurance certificates. So if you take something like financing a median type of house uh, for, through a mortgage, how, how much kind of good old labor sits in, in, into such a, t if there is such a thing as a, such as a typical mortgage? Is that something, I mean, the consumer, of course, only experiences the time from walking to the branch saying, I want the money to the actual closing. Yeah. But on your end, how many minutes of, or hours are, are typically spent on such a transaction? Um, it has, well, we've recently, as a result, partly as a result of some of the new regulations, put a new um, front-end and back-end system to, to, to simplify that. Um, much of the time spent in underwriting a mortgage today um, has to do with new um, mortgage regs, which basically require us to send back and forth to you continual estimates of anything that might change through the process. Now, that gets easier to do electronically, but you're still getting hundreds of pages of documents electronically that you probably won't read. Um, and that is the, the largest part of the delay. Beyond that, the basic process of underwriting, underwriting a mortgage, we know very quickly, um, particularly if it's, if it's something that's going to qualify through Fannie or Freddie or even Ginny, we know right away whether you're qualified for that. We would do the necessary appraisals on the property. 
oftentimes those appraisals can be done uh, in effect electronically um, and then move towards closure with all the required documentation. So much of that is automated, but today it is still somewhat cumbersome simply because of the regulations surrounding it. So if we include everything from printing the paper, sending out the envelopes, doing the little bit of overseeing the algorithms, is all in? Is that like a two hours of, two hours of work? or um, the, the actual processing of it, yeah, it's probably less than that. Now, the problem with that, of course, is you need to schedule um, a closing. Um, even with these signatures, um, you'll still, you know, the, 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 the title insurance person is still there and, um you know, the process of scheduling uh, is is probably something that, that takes more time than anything else. The actual process of can I lend you money is very quick. So we talked at the beginning of the show about the, the branches, and I think you and I have been around long enough to both remember when the ATMs came out and started to, in some sense, you know, eat into the responsibilities of the branch employees. So you mentioned AI a moment ago. Yeah. How, how do you see now on the more sophisticated tasks, rather than handing somebody out $160, the more sophisticated tasks, you, we talked about underwriting, other type of financial decision making. How do you see that kind of new technology, be it AI or kind of other uh, forms of automation, uh, how do they play out in the more sophisticated workforce? Yeah, so, so I think um, AI is going to play two incredibly important roles in banking. Um, one is going to be um, it will enable us to make more complex decisions faster. So the decision to say yes or no um, to a loan you know, an individual working at a computer might go into multiple different databases to pick out data points, correlate those on an underwriting scorecard and say yes or no, whereas using AI, um, it can both say yes instantly and it can learn through time by backtesting its decisions against actual performance um, to improve its decision to say yes or no. Um, so that is happening today. And the other thing um, that will have a big impact um, on people is the basic automation of manual process. So, you know, you'd be surprised how many people still sit in the back office of a bank or hospital system you know, or many other industries where people are bringing up one form and retyping that information into another form um, to be submitted to yet a third database that's then going to be read by, you know, the fourth person. All of that... Um, you know, can be done using AI, and importantly, doing it using AI not in a um, an RPA matrix, but but you know, not screen scraping, but rather learning from the process of which information to pull, what is important, and where to input it. And I think that's going to have a a very big impact on the speed by which things can move through the back office, and importantly, the number of people that are that are required. Isn't that an irony of modern banking that there is, on the one hand, all the technologies that are in place with online, with e-commerce, uh, everything that has been reached so far, and yet we have uh, thousands of people who do nothing else but still fax legal documents around or are yes. moving. Is is that how, how long? I know that these predictions are hard, but how long do you think will it take to kind of take that inefficiency out of the system? I, I think faster than you might otherwise assume. Um, we have a pretty aggressive schedule on rolling this through our operating environments. Um, you know, and we started with basically building, rebuilding all of our core infrastructure, so effectively building 
um, our own internal cloud with burst, burst through, through capacity into the public cloud, um, making sure that every application in the company runs inside of a virtual environment, taking all of our applications and breaking them into API with agile developers so we have the ability to continually do new releases. All of that's fantastic. Now, as you point out, if all of that generates new business that goes to somebody sitting at a desk at a green screen and retyping it on a piece of paper, I've wasted my time. We have all of the front end done. Our next, ex our, our, in, in, we're well on our way into automating the mid office, but basically our, you know, the next task is to make sure that all of this stuff is straight through processed, um, such that when you're using your app on the phone, and you're doing real-time payment on Zelle, it is in fact real-time, which it is today. Um, but that's an example of something where you, you took what, you know, five years ago would have been a very manual process and now made it instant using technology. Would the outcome of that on employment be that there are a fewer set of higher paid people, or how would you expect your workforce to look like in 10 years? Um, You've heard the same debates that I've heard around this, right? That the challenge is going to be to upskill existing workers uh, to work in an environment that demands more technology skills than what they're used to deploying today. Um, you know, for for all of the, if, if I look at our own headcount, we've been basically 52,000 employees for the last bunch of years. The average wage of our 52,000 employees, in fact, has gone way up as we've substituted um, technologists for, you know, frankly, hourly workers who, who were doing manual tasks. Where, where does this get us? And if you think about another couple of years ahead, uh, what, what is next in terms of further automation potential and uh, for us as consumers? Um, I, I think what you're going to see across the industry, so today there's 6,000-plus banks in this country, um, the investment necessary to offer an integrated digital experience that is trusted by our customers, um, it's incredibly expensive, it's incredibly complex, and my best guess is there's only a handful of banks in this country who have the ability to execute on that. Um, and so I think through time what you'll see is more and more consolidation of the industry, uh, continual rollout of new products and features, um, you know, mobile first. So, as you know, things used to be developed online and then you'd sort of patchwork it to work on your phone. Everything's now reversed. We build it on the phone first, and if we want it online, we'll put it online second. Uh, and I think you'll see a continuation of that. Um, you know, at issue for us and for anybody who communicates or offers products to customers digitally is to figure out how to do that in a very simple and intuitive way that allows them to use the basic features they want to use and to explore into the more complex things that we offer through time. If you hit them with it all at once, uh, it overwhelms people. And, and that's part of the challenge of this transformation. That is a challenge of this uh, transformation, says Bill Demchak, the CEO of PNC Bank. Uh, thank you, Bill. We need to take a short break right now. When we come back, I will welcome our second guest for today, Chris Britt, who is the founder and CEO of Chime, a bank that was started in the mobile age. Uh, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow. I'm Christian Tevish, and this is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Christian Tervish. 
Welcome back from the break. I'm Christian Tevish and this is World of Tomorrow on Business Radio here on Sirius XM. Our topic today is the future of the banking industry and in the first half of the show I had the pleasure of talking with Bill Demchak, the CEO of PNC Bank. We talked about retail branches and the future of branches in the world of online, mobile, blockchain and all these things. And along that theme, it's my pleasure to welcome our second guest for today, Chris Britt, who is the founder and CEO of Chime. Welcome, Chris. Hi, nice to meet you. Hey, Chris, uh, tell us about your background and what prompted you to start Chime. Sure. Um, I have a background um, in startups and payments. I came out to Silicon Valley in the late 90s and was involved with a few startups that had some success. I was a employee at a company called Flycast, which was one of the first internet ad networks. Then I was one of the first employees at Comscore, the inter internet measurement company. And I found my way uh, from Comscore over to Visa, which was one of our clients. And when I was at Visa, I got involved, uh, obviously, uh, in the payments business. I was um, responsible for launching and managing the general purpose prepaid card business for Visa. So I got really involved um, in understanding all the players, all the processors, all the banks involved with that category. Did that for about four years. And then I uh, ended up going over to Green Dot, which was uh, the biggest prepaid debit card company in America. And uh, was the chief product officer there and the head of Corp Dev for about five years. We had an amazing run. Uh, we launched the Walmart Uh, prepaid debit card and uh, many other very successful uh, businesses. We took that company public in 2010, and um, I left there in 2012 to start Chime. And uh, Chime is a business that is a bank without branches, so to say. You're born with the mobile DNA in you, as opposed to your competitors in banking all trying to be mobile and online and still have kind of the old business model underneath them. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I came from Green Dot, which had great success in providing uh, financial services for the underserved or the underbanked consumers that literally couldn't open up bank accounts because they had bad credit or bounced checks. And what I wanted to do with, with this company was create not a prepaid card, but something that was more full-featured and could be more broadly appealing. So we target uh, mainstream consumers who prefer um, – managing their business over the phone, and we give them a full-featured FDIC-insured checking account, savings account, Visa debit card, and a host of tools inside of the app to help people get into a rhythm of, of saving money. We don't have any branches, like you say, and to be honest, our members don't really put that high on their list of uh, requirements for banking services, If you, um, you know, especially in this increasingly mobile world where people are making mobile payments and primarily using debit cards for their for their everyday payment. The um, Well, they certainly want a free ATM network. They, they don't need physical branches as much as, uh, you know, my mom and dad probably did. Now, you opened 100,000 new accounts in January alone, if my information is correct. So something is, is certainly going well in your company. What, what is fueling that growth? Is, has that been an underserved market or What allowed you to come in and, and just grow so rapidly as you did? Well, I think if you just take a step back, I think that consumer banking for, for many mainstream Americans is broken. And you look at the business models of all these, these big banks, it's he very heavily driven around fee income. And 
at the core, uh, the, the relationships are oftentimes adversarial, right? That someone goes overdraft or has a low balance and they get hit with fees. And I think as a result, these big bank brands are, are all among the least loved brands in America, especially among the millennial segment. So, um, and just to give you a sense, like the CFPB said last year that there were $15 billion of overdraft fees last year, and Wells Fargo alone earned about $1.2 billion last quarter in service fees on the deposit accounts. So these numbers are, are just massive and I think create a, a huge opportunity for innovative product companies uh, like ours. And I think, you know, in addition to that backdrop of, of the setup and, uh, you know, some of the uh, opportunities for new entrants, you also have to have a product that people really love and enjoy using. And, and uh, we really get great feedback from, from our members on, on our product. We get a net promoter score of close to 70, which is pretty much unheard of in banking. So how are you making your money? I mean, so you, uh, you declared uh, the incumbents being the evil lords of the, uh, the, the overdraft fees, and I think that resonates certainly with many consumers. Uh, where do you make your money? Um, we make money today primarily from Visa. So uh, our members, um, the way they typically use our product is they, they download the app, they register for an account. This is a full-featured bank account, so we have to do KYC. And, um, and once the account is open, our members sign up for direct deposit of their paycheck, and they put most, if not all, of their paycheck into Chime directly. And then they use our our debit card to make their everyday transactions and we earn a piece of of the transaction fee that uh, visa earns if you if you think about you know you think about square right they sign up a merchant they probably the merchant pays somewhere around three percent for the ability to accept card transactions well we we end up uh, earning about half of that three percent uh, as our top line revenue so we're getting paid primarily from visa It's not a fee-driven business model. And what's great about it is there's really good alignment because we're motivated to get our members to love us and use us as their primary everyday transaction device. And, and if they do that, then we're rewarded uh, in the form of the interchange revenue that we earn from, from Visa when you make an Apple Pay or do a swipe transaction or do an online transaction. So do you think it's as primarily a, a transaction platform or if you think about other banking services that a traditional Wells Fargo or PNC would provide, uh, such as mortgages, uh, loans, other kind of services, investment advice, uh, are those still coming for you or do you really focus on transactions alone? Well, we think about ourselves as being in the, you know, we want to be in the financial health business. We want to, we want to help our members get into a healthy rhythm of, of managing their spending and getting into a, uh, a healthy rhythm of, of saving money. Um, and so it's really about having that, that core relationship, that everyday relationship where our members are looking to us as their primary financial hub. This is where, I mean, our average customers in our app almost every single day. So, um, The way we monetize the relationships today is primarily through that interchange or payment activity. So, yeah, I mean, I guess in some respects we're a payments company, um, but we really think that, you know, our mission is to, is to more broadly help our, our members achieve financial success. It's, 
We've started with payments and, and savings, but we think that with a very healthy relationship and, and deep relationship that we have with our members, that there's a natural opportunity for us to move into other categories and to help them managing their loans and credit, and then eventually, uh, you know, potentially through um, getting to a rhythm, a rhythm of investing and investing for retirement. I think we've got a few options in how we can do that. We can do that with some of our own products. We can also do that in partnership with uh, lots of other great fintech companies that have developed point solutions for, for those uh, parts of financial services. So I'm a kind of a productivity freak, and I'm just trying to do some form of comparison between your operations and a legacy bank. And I'm, I'm just kind of looking for a good productivity metric, either such as employee hours per customer account or employee hour per number of dollars moved across the transaction. Uh, how, how does your, if you just kind of look at the transaction sector where you're active right now, how does your productivity compare like or compare to a traditional bank? Well, I think we are far more productive. If you think, if you think about the cost structure of of these large institutions, most of them are, are supporting massive bank branches, which uh, branch networks, which, as you see, are um, pretty aggressively starting to to um, to close. Actually, Wells Fargo just announced on their last earnings call that they're going to be closing 900 branches. So. Some, clearly, something is, is is not working efficiently in in some of these um, uh, older approaches to how to acquire accounts and deliver financial services. I think I think those those branches today are largely for small businesses to drop off cash and cash and check, and then otherwise they're really just sales offices. So I think they're um, looking for opportunities to to optimize. We don't we don't have that cost burden. Um, we are very engaged with our members through through our app, so I think it's highly efficient uh, in the sense that we've got a, a relatively small team relative to a big bank, and are probably open opening as many bank accounts. We're starting to get to the same zone as as these branch networks that have you know five, six, seven thousand branches. We're we're opening up almost as many checking accounts as they do on a monthly basis. So I don't know the specific comparison metrics, but I'm pretty sure we're, um, we're, we're fighting beyond our, our weight at this point. So in my earlier discussion uh, in the first half of the show was Bill Demchak, the CEO of PNC Bank. We talked about kind of three jobs in his bank. There's the kind of the retail bank associate, the person that is out there in a retail branch, um, there is the kind of the expert who is sitting in some form of central advisor function who is kind of looped in as an underwriter or as an investment advisor. And then there's a technology person. Uh, you clearly don't have the branch people. Do you have a good number of people who are like bankers in the sense that they could advise customers? Or is it for you, are you mostly like a PayPal, Venmo technology play? We're certainly at our core a technology company. You know, we, we, we design beautiful products and happen to have a good amount of people inside the company from a payments and, and banking landscape. Um, we, you know, we believe that um, technology products can be extremely effective uh, for consumers 
in in helping people to achieve financial health. We think you can you know use technology and automation to do that. Uh, we think automation in particular is is really important. So it's why our members really are so happy about the services that we provide. We have a we have a service called Save When I Spend and another one called Save When I Get Paid, where we you know automatically move money from your checking account at Chime into your savings account at Chime. And people really appreciate the fact that they can get into, you know, if you do any research, everybody knows they need to save money, but oftentimes people are just really bad at getting into a rhythm and and getting started in that area. So we think that that there's a great opportunity to design products to drive people to do that in an automated fashion. Um, We, today we don't have, uh, you know, we have a, we have a call center, but we don't have a call center that people are dialing in for financial advice uh, today. Certainly something that we could move into over time, but today it's largely around our app. Uh, the, the app is the primary interface for the relationship, and and the app either automatically uh, pushes people to do things to help their financial health, or you know we can also give the consumer sort of friendly nudges like, hey, looks like you've got some extra in your checking account. Maybe you should put that into savings. Uh, maybe you should pay off that high-interest credit card that you're connected to. Or maybe if, if all of those other boxes are checked, maybe you should start thinking about getting into a rhythm of investing as well. Again, we're, you know, we're not, we don't really see ourselves as, uh, you know, we're not really an AUM business. We're not trying to hoard assets uh, for the, from the consumer. We're trying to get the consumer healthy. And if, if getting into a healthy rhythm means, you know, you're starting to invest at a Vanguard or a Wealthfront um, or Fidelity. It doesn't really matter to us who it is. We just want to make sure that you're um, getting on uh, a path to financial success. That's the role we want to play. So for your workforce, that means basically you have the technology people and then you have a set of kind of customer support employees more so than any kind of what we would in a traditional profession call a banking person. Yeah, we have a lot of uh, product people that uh, are leading the engineering teams that are trying to design really simple user-friendly experiences that get people, you know, again, we typically target people that are relatively early into their professional career. So our typical customers, like in their late 20s, maybe their early 30s, um, they are disproportionately paying a lot of bank fees, they generally prefer debit cards over credit cards because they want to have control of their of their finances, and we're sort of helping them with a lot of the, you know, finance 101 things that that, that you should be taking care of. Like, don't pay big bank fees. Um, make sure you have an emergency sa- emergency savings account that covers you for a few months if you were to lose your job or have an accident. We're trying to we're trying to help our members with some of those basic services. Uh, to get to get going, and I and I think over time, we as our as our customer evolves, I fully expect us to evolve our offering and to be even more uh, holistic and in, in helping you um, potentially in a more direct advisory capacity around credit, lending, investments, and that sort of thing. But we're not really doing that today. So, do you see yourself as a low cost disruptor, if you will? I mean, kind of in a classic. Southwest Airlines kind of mode where you cherry pick a set of routes and just do one thing really well as opposed to doing everything for everyone. You basically cherry picked 
the millennials, young people, mobile banking, not too complex financial need. And that one allow, that focus uh, allows you to really kind of have a very clean product offering, automating most of the action. Is, is, is that the, the strategic move behind this? Yeah, I think we've started with a uh, very easy to use basic banking service that allows people to, to manage their money and feel like you know, they have a partner that's actually looking out for their best interest and is authentically trying to to be helpful. Um, so I think, number one, you, it's two things, right? Number one, you have to have a product that people are connecting with, that people are telling their friends about, which is how we get almost half of our customers just from referrals and word of mouth and organic, which is, you know, always a, a key indicator of a product that's working. But then... In addition to having the product that works, you certainly need a cost structure that makes sense. And I think some of the prior attempts to disrupt banking have not been as sound uh, footing in terms of the, the cost structure. So I think it has been helpful that we, our team has deep experience in, in payments systems and, and banking. We've been able to, um, you know, part of our disruption here is the fact that we do have a much lower cost structure than a traditional institution, a credit union, even the big banks that rely on mainstream, um, I should say mainframe, old school tech that doesn't allow for, you know, real-time notifications um, and is just not particularly flexible to, to launch and iterate products quickly, which I think is so important in this, in this day and age. So you think the, uh, the the big old banks are at, at risk of being being disrupted from you because a they have a hard time embracing that new customer segment because uh, they they do make their money on the overdraft fees and they they're just basically addicted to that revenue and that they are lacking the technology platforms to basically uh, because they have legacy systems in place that keeps them from running as quickly as you do. I mean, you know, I think we can have a uh, – there's a nice opportunity for us to disrupt the consumer banking operations for some of these big guys. I think the reality is they've become just so massive, so so far flung that in this category, you know, the, the regular sort of mainstream you know, banking, checking account business, I think that they've lost touch with, with millions of Americans in this area. I think it was just last week that Bank of America announced it. They were getting rid of their free e-banking products, and so now millions of consumers are going to pay something like eight to twelve dollars a month just for the ability to have a checking account with them. Um, and every one of the big banks charges something to the tune of like three to five dollars just to have a savings account with them. You have to pay them three to five dollars a month to have a savings account that probably pays you fifty bips or less. It doesn't make any sense. It's adversarial it's it's really not necessary and i think it just it demonstrates how out of touch these big institutions are with everyday americans that are struggling to get by and living to paycheck to paycheck and and again i'm not talking about the unbanked i'm talking about sort of mainstream americans who um don't have much in the way of savings and i think there's a role that banks and and checking accounts can play to help people get into a you know, move towards financial health. But these institutions are have so many other areas that are probably more profitable to them. Investment banking, corporate banking services, 
asset management for high net worth uh, people, you know, bond trading desks, you know, if if you look at the change of um, the amount of deposits held at the top five banks since 19, in 1990, the top five banks held something like 10% of deposits in America. They now control 50%. So the top five banks. So they're just, they've become so big um, and so far flung. I think there's definitely an opportunity for not just us. It's a huge market. I think there's going to be lots of others folks that come into this sector to try to disrupt, um, disrupt this category. And, uh, and we think there's a great opportunity for us to be a, a fresh new face in, in this category and one that's very consumer friendly and, and helpful. So if you think about that journey of disruption, what, what keeps you apart from other folks who are basically entering with uh, similar business concepts? What, what, is the, what is the edge? I mean, you, you clearly managed, there's clearly some form of land grabbing game going on where you grew very quickly, very early on. And I'd be curious to kind of in terms of your current account numbers that you, you have right now. Um, but what else sets you apart from, from others kind of who are also starting new technologies right now? Yeah, we've now opened up over 800,000 accounts. We're adding 100,000 a month. Um, what sets us apart? I think, uh, well, we've got a brand that people are, are connecting with for sure. But I think it all starts with the underlying product. And is it, is it being helpful? And is it, is it convenient? And is it, um, is, it, is it helping people achieve their objectives? And um, all the feedback that we're getting from our members is, is showing that that's the case. And the fact that we get almost half of our customers, our new customers from our current customers, I think um, uh, is a, you know, demonstrates that, that we're doing well in that, in that area as well. Um, you know, I think philosophically uh, we're a little bit different than, than others in that we think that the future of banking is actually going to be a little, it's going to be more open and more connected than it has been historically. So we, you know, if a consumer wants to connect their checking account to another service that they use, another FinTech service, we're going to fully embrace that. We want to, we want to make your checking account be as, as interoperable with the other services that you use. And we envision our app as being that, you know, the hub of your finances, your check comes into our account and then we can help you make decisions on where to allocate those dollars. Um, so if you go into the Chime app, you'll see all your other financial accounts that you've linked to. And I think that's, that's a different approach than, than others have historically taken, which is, you know, particularly the big banks. It's like, they want to get you in the checking account, and they only want to sell you their own products. They they don't want to make it easy for you to, to connect and, and have interoperability with others. So I think that's probably one one key area that um, that we're different in philosophically. And then I think the tools that we've designed to help people save money automatically are clearly resonating with people, and um, um, and I think that's that's been a big contributor to our success as well because. Friends tell their friends that they've already saved $500 with Chime um, and have had good su good success. And, you know, we're obviously very social, uh, active on social networks. And I think um, our customers go out of their way to talk about how much we're helping them. And that's, uh, 
that's really benefited. So, so you mentioned the, I mean, the overall goal being the financial health of the uh, customer here, and the uh, you mentioned the, the idea of nudging people to save early on. Can you just talk us uh, through us a little bit on the user experience? It seems to me it is a little bit, and I mean this in a positive uh, way here, Chris. Uh, parental, it's a little bit more parental than the traditional bank, where if I want to send money from A to B. The bank just sends money from A to B versus here the opportunity is to nudge the customer and say, like, well, really, do you really want to spend all this money to B? Shouldn't you spend some money on savings? Uh, is it a little bit more helping the taking the customer by their hand and helping them out? It's more around making our members smarter um, and doing it in a way that, that they can digest information. I think, you know, as, as great as services like Mint have been over the time or like, you know, over time, like PFM apps that have charts and graphs and you can categorize transactions and do all those sorts of things. I don't think that's how most mainstream people actually operate their financial life. Most people just look the other way. They don't, you know, maybe if you're an engineer or an accountant or someone, something, you, you might do that sort of thing, but we want to make it really easy and automatic for people to do things. So You know, when you sign up for the Chime account, we have a user experience that sort of leads you towards signing up for auto, for these automated services we have. And we do a really good job of getting people to sign up. We get like ni over 90% of people who open up savings accounts to set up these automatic savings tools. So, you know, it's not like we invented the automation, but we're really good at, at getting people to sign up for it. And then in the, in the app experience, I don't, you know, we're not sort of like preaching or, or telling people the way you're you know, you said like a parental, uh, you know, this isn't like a mom or dad giving you a lecture on what to do with your money, but we want to make you understand how you're spending. So, for example... We have to, uh, Chris, sorry, we're running out of time, but this this was yeah. a really perfect answer. Thanks, thanks, Chris, for answering these questions. Good luck with uh, going forward and continuing the growth. Uh, we've reached the end of the show today, uh, so you've been listening here to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. Let me thank our th sound expert, Daniel Bruno, and my producer, Matt, for their wonderful support. We hope you can join us again this coming Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern. I'm Christian Tervish, and on behalf of all of us here at Warden, thank you for listening. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.